next quadrant, so the top left, where you care personally, but you are not at even the slightest bit direct, is called ruinous empathy. That's a good, that's a good uh, term, actually. And that's apparently where most management mistakes come in, because, you know, you really care about the person's feelings and you don't want them to think you're mean or anything like that, so you don't challenge them directly and you just try and, like, you know, maintain niceties. So, what we're talking about today is... Radical Candor. Which is actually not a punk band, I don't think. Well, maybe it is. Not that I know of. But it's a book? Yeah, it is a book. So, it is a book that was written by... Shit, I should actually, like, have her name ready to go. It's Kim something. Wait, it's not... Uh, it's not our hero? No, it's actually not. This is This is by someone else. I'm sorry if that's disappointing, but... It really sounds like um, something he would write, actually. Cal. Yeah. Maybe she just beat him to it. Cal was working on it. It's possible. Yeah. You know, Cal has a couple other jobs to focus on, so can't just keep pumping these out. We're close enough. We can call him only by his first name. I think so. Yeah. We're on that kind of a, that kind of a level, that kind of a relationship. It's written by Kim Scott, and she's been a leader from, from the book. She's been a leader at Google and apple and has done quite a bit of consulting run her own business for a while quite a few things a lot of experience with leadership being a boss and like figuring out how to have radical candor to be honest with people okay okay yeah and the book it really focuses on uh, management and like how to be a good boss because honesty or candor is really important to that but i think there are a lot of good lessons in there that are more generalizable for everybody I've I've heard this often described as a book that anybody who either is a manager or who has a manager should read. It's got some it's got some good ideas. It can sort of help you interpret as well like what a manager actually means by like what they say. To an extent, yeah, or more so get good feedback cuz to to get to it, what is radical candor at its like very essence? It's the act of giving or receiving praise or criticism out of a genuine care for another person. So it's like simultaneously being direct with someone and really caring about someone. Okay. So yeah, like I guess, yeah, just honest feedback because you want them to really do well, I guess. Exactly. Yeah. So wanting other people to do well and giving them the feedback, either like really good, like praise kind of feedback or more like criticism kind of feedback. That would, that, that would be important, especially for a manager to know how to do as well. Because if somebody's doing a bad job, you don't just want to be like every time, oh, yeah, you're doing, you're doing great. You're doing amazing. Nothing you need to change. Because then your higher ups will be like, all your workers are actually sucking. Can you like fix that? Yep, definitely. And even if you don't have higher ups, it's very important because all of your workers will kind of be uh, sucking or doing subpar work. That's one of the first stories she tells was effectively doing what you were just saying uh, she just hired someone who seemed like a great like all-star hire with like stupendous recommendations and whatnot to work at the company she just founded i forget what the company did i think it was something vaguely software related but they are tamagotchi grooming service something like that yeah yeah let's go with it the company's name was called juice so you know maybe Anyways, she thought he'd be a great new hire, but then the first piece of work that he turned in was absolute like hot garbage, like some kind of like report he had to turn in, and it was just this like word soup. 
And she said like that she could tell from like the look in his eyes that like he knew this, this was not good. This was not good work, but he was a nice guy, just really nice. And she didn't want to like upset him or anything like that. You know, she didn't want to feel like she was being mean or something or for all the other employees to think that she was being mean or like bullying or any of that kind of stuff. So she was just like, okay, very good, very good work. Look, I'll help you like, you know, work out some of the kinks or whatnot, but like great work and just proceeded to not give him like real feedback and really just like cover him for him for like a year. And like the entire rest of the other team as well also had to cover for him and make up for his shitty work for that entire year. So it was like really dragging on everybody until like she finally just had to like fire him. Which is helping no one. Exactly. Yeah. And like when she fired him, because, you know, he'd been doing a bad job. He's just like kind of stunned for a bit before asking like, why did nobody tell me I was doing a bad job? Yeah, exactly. Did she say like, if he sort of knew it was no good, was it just like he was unsure of like what to do? She didn't specify. No, I'm not sure if she knew or not, but it was probably something like that. I would assume there's some kind of miscommunication that he just wasn't getting. He didn't know what they were expecting and then he handed that in and then they're like, I love it. And he's like, I guess this is what they're expecting. Okay. Yeah, it's like, okay, I guess I'll keep doing this. Sure, why not? It's like the guy was apparently very competent. Like I said, like he had great references and apparently he went on to have a very successful career at other companies elsewhere, but it just was not working in that role or without that feedback. That sort of anecdote reminds me of a, I took this one, um, intercultural relations in the workplace or something course as uh, one of my courses I had to take during co-op. And there they talked a lot about direct versus indirect cultures. And this, I feel like, relates to that because English, like Canadian English, is, is one of the more direct ones for sure. Not the most direct. I think those were like Russian and like the Scandinavian countries. But uh, does she talk about that as well? Um, she touches on it a bit. Yeah. Cause she, while she was at Google, she was leading a team that included some like Japanese and Chinese units. So she touches on that a bit. Cause they would take, they would take criticism and praise differently. Very much so. Yeah. Yeah. It's very different cultures. Like she said, she had to really adapt it for Japan because like they would not be okay with the idea of like radical candor, like essentially like challenging or giving feedback to their boss. Like that was just like, no, 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 no. That's one of the most indirect languages anyway, right? Like context heavy. Very much so. So she had to like um, rebrand it to polite persistence. That's what she called it. Because it's just like constantly like, hey, you know, just very politely, constantly bringing up issues that people need to know about. That's like, yeah, that's that's what my dad said. He said specifically when he's working because they have a lot of stuff in like Southeast Asia, like Thailand, Vietnam. Culturally there, it's a lot more like in a business setting, you would very rarely say no. I think this is the same for Japan as well. Let's say it takes two weeks to make a product and somebody's like, can we get that in a week instead? It, you'd be very, it would be very difficult to say no. He, he said when he gets something like, well, that might be difficult that, that in our culture like cultural translation can mean like no it can't be done (laughs) yeah no that's fascinating i I was also reading in another book this is a great example of it it was one of malcolm gladwell's i forget which one exactly off the top of my head because i read a bunch like one after another and they kind of blended together a bit 
but it was about the the Korean airlines. Which I've flown on, actually. They're great. Very cool. Well, apparently in the 1990s, they were one of the worst airlines in the world. Like, they had a series of crashes, like, very close together. And Oh, so, like, like real bad. Not just, like, they lose your luggage or something. Yeah, real bad. Like, the FDA was considering, like... Yeah, the FDA was, like, dropping their status. So, it's, like, a safe airline. Like, they, they were not doing a good job. And... Glad we'll kind of walk through one of the crashes and kind of all the mistakes that were made. And it was a lot of exactly that kind of stuff of being like very indirect, specifically like um, co-pilots or subordinates trying to like alert the, the pilot to something. And he was just like not getting it. Oh, was the pilot, did he speak a different language or something? No, I think they were all the same culture, but it's like that idea of talking to a superior. It's like you don't, it was just very like indirect and like trying to hint at the fact that there were problems. It's like, you know, it's kind of, it's, it's foggy out. Landing might be difficult, exactly like you were saying. Which, is, which actually means, bro, we can't land. <laughs> Very much so. And they were just like constantly like being like trying to hint at issues uh, until they just like crashed into the side of a hill. Damn. I mean, it's, it's absurd telling. It's obviously very sad, but like, wow, that's an extreme example of why this is necessary. <laughs> this. This thing you're saying, this radical candor, so you don't crash into the side of a hill. And the solution there is also very interesting, how Korean airlines turned around into a really great airline. How they do it. Uh, I don't think this is applicable to everything because it might be a bit of an overstep. But what they did was essentially say that everybody in the cabin had to speak English. Like that was the working language. You couldn't speak Korean. Really? And the reasoning behind that was that in Korean, you know how... In English, we have, we can say you, and that's just like how we refer to people. Whereas in French, you have maybe like tu and vous for different levels of formality. Uh, in Korean, there's like six levels of formality depending on your distance in like hierarchy with another person. So it's like if you're like serving drinks to the captain, it would be like three levels up or something. Yeah, something like that. Yeah. And there's just like all this levels of like hierarchy and indirectness and like a lot of like culture that came with the with the language and was just inherent in like everything that they were saying and the words that they were using so by removing them from that context in this situation it allowed them to be much more direct and really inherit more of the like english directness when i that's really interesting i don't do that anymore when i was on there i saw people speaking korean to each other but maybe that's just like you're like, that's like the rule, but obviously who's going to like bust you if you're just like talking to your coworker, like. Maybe, or maybe they changed it. I think the, it was one of Malcolm Gladwell's older books, so they, they could have changed it since then, but that was the solution that they had at the time. Now that they've established themselves as a good airline, like, no, they do things like their way that works. Very, yeah, that is very possible. They should all speak Russian, actually. The most direct language. Well, maybe not the most direct, but one of them. Yeah, yeah. On that subject too, in another book I read that was also talking about this subject, maybe on a, I'm on a bit of a tear, in No Rules Netflix, it was just a book on like Netflix's corporate culture. They talked about the different levels of directness or really bluntness with feedback and how like what seems very like nice and caring to an American might will be brutally honest or will be like just like horrific to like a Japanese or Korean person. Yeah, or or a lot of like Spanish-speaking countries are more indirect as well. But yeah, in the, in the same way that that's like that, if like an American were to get feedback from like a Dutch person, like the American would be left in like tears because 
the Dutch are just so direct or like a German, yes, or a Russian, like you said. This does not meet our standards. You have to change almost everything. <laughs> no. Yeah, that, that's actually probably, you would probably get something like that because that's like complete, sometimes that's just the case. This does not meet the standards of our work that we're looking for. You need to change three of the four sections almost completely. <laughs> like, yeah, North America, that would be pretty brutally honest if it was just that, not like, well, I really like the initiative you showed here. Um, but actually, uh, we're going to need you to change this, this, and this. If you could make it look more like this example here or something, that's probably how they'd say it. Yeah, that that would be, I think, the very like North American way to say it. Like in the in the Netflix book, they gave the example where it was basically like someone had given a, a presentation. Like, I think it was some American, and you know it had gone over really well on the whole. But someone who I'm going to say was Dutch wanted to give them some feedback afterwards while they were talking to them and they're like hey i think you could do this better and the person was just kind of devastated because like that was all they told them about the presentation even though like on the whole it was great it was just like a little piece of feedback they were like yeah i thought that they knew that the presentation went great i just was going to give them this feedback like that's really interesting yeah because it's like if everybody's telling them it's great and they're like oh wow i don't also have to tell you it's great everybody else is saying that but nobody else is telling you that you should shorten your intro so it's like your intro is too long. <laughs> yeah, something like that. It's just like more direct culture, which is very interesting. Okay, okay, yeah. So I guess, I guess this all has to do with it. Like I, and she's North American, this author, right? She is, yeah. She's American. Yeah, I imagine the way, maybe she says it, but the way we do it here that I've sort of noticed is always start with a compliment unless it's like the most horrendous thing ever. Start, find something you can compliment about it and then say all the shit you need to fix, which might be most of it. But start with like, you know, you really showed good initiative here or, you know, the formatting is really good, <laughs> like something like that. Yeah, that's how I usually do it as well. I think that's very common here is to always start with that, which I think is good. That That's nice. It's like a way to establish that you care, which is a great way to usually start out before you give criticism. In North American English, definitely. That's how you stop the person from being just devastated like in the other. <laughs> this is shit. So yeah, what sort of stuff? does she say one of the big things that she comes back to a lot is that she has this little graph where she kind of maps out the different types of i'll say like feedback that people can usually give or not give which coming back to what i was saying at the beginning on one axis there is how much you're challenging someone directly so how like actual direct and honest you're being with someone and then on the other axis is how much you care about them just caring personally, not just about like the work they do, but you know, them as a whole, as a human being. So top right would be I love you and your work is terrible. Or if it's good, your work is good. Because like praise is also very important. True. If it's good, then praise is honest. Yeah. How my company describes it was redirecting or reinforcing feedback. So maybe if they got something to change, you redirect them. If it was good, you reinforce it and you make sure they keep doing it which both are good like signals. That's actually pretty interesting. Your own company, they had like a workshop on this? They did, yeah. I did a workshop on this as part of their little like leadership education course series that they do. Um, one of them was on Radical Candor. That's pretty cool. It is, yeah. But yeah, so top right, like you were saying, it's Radical Candor. That's like the best place. That's that's where you're you're getting real good stuff. You know, you're getting like... Maximum sort of tact but also maximum efficacy. Exactly, yeah. I realize I might be pointing to the top left for you, but this is top right for me. 
you are, but you know, none of the listeners can see anyways, so it's all good. Uh, just picture me pointing to the top right, everyone. There you go. Except for me, it's pointing the, to the top left. So yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then from there, the bottom right corner, so where you're being very direct, but you just do not give a shit about the person, is obnoxious aggression. Yeah, or just like ruthless. Basically, yeah. And that's very common, especially in like higher up like leadership at companies a lot of the time because next to radical candor, that's the best place to be because you're actually being real with people. Yeah, at least your job is being done. Exactly, yeah. You're fulfilling all your corporate duties, just not many social politeness duties. Exactly. Like all your employees or everybody you're working with, like they know where they stand. They know if they've messed up. They probably know if they've done something good because you might say that as well. But like you're just an absolute dick about it. You just don't care. People don't like you, but you're good at your job, (laughs) essentially. Yeah. Actually, to make doing this a little bit more tangible, there's one like little exercise we went through during the training was just um, how would someone in each of the different quadrants tell you that there's spinach in your teeth before you're about to do a big presentation. So someone in like radical candor would probably be like, hey, I really want you to do well in this presentation. I noticed that there's a little spinach in your teeth. You should like real quick, like fix that up. Gonna really nail this. So you're like, you establish you care and you're direct. And bottom right would be like, your teeth look weird. You've got some veg in there. Jesus, you're a messy eater. Like, goddamn. Yeah, something like that. Yeah, you obviously don't care about your appearance or something like that. Like, they're, and they're telling you the same information, <laughs> just making you feel shit about it. And then the next quadrant, so the top left, where you care personally, but you are not at even the slightest bit direct, is called ruinous empathy. Yeah, that's a good. That's a good uh, term, actually. And that's apparently where most management mistakes come in because you know you really care about the person's feelings and you don't want them to think you're mean or anything like that so you don't challenge them directly and you just try and like you know maintain niceties so you might even just like not mention the spinach or try and like indirectly like hint that they should like check their appearance or something like that if they're about to go on stage and they're like how am i looking and you're like uh great wouldn't change anything if it's specifically because like you know you don't want to like ruin the relationship or make them think you're mean then it's then it's ruinous empathy or, or like a workplace example might be like, okay, here's the report. I was up all night working on it, but here it is. I hope you like it. And it's like not that good. It's like, ooh, I appreciate the hard work. That's wow. Great job. Yeah. Great job. Good stuff. So actually, yeah, once we get the fourth one, let's actually think of some, some examples for that. Like how the same situation would be handled by each of the four quadrants. That's a good exercise. Yeah. So then the last one is manipulative insincerity. So you don't care about someone and you're not being direct. Just the worst, dude. (laughs) Just the worst, yeah. That's often like office politics level of like shittiness. It's like, I'm just going to tell this guy that his presentation was good so he'll leave me alone and I don't have to talk about it. Or I don't like this guy so I'm going to tell him it was bad even though it was good. (laughs) Basically, yeah. Or like talking behind someone's back. Again, just not being direct so people don't know what they actually need to fix or what they did well and also being a dick about it. Yeah, just the worst for no reason. (laughs) Oftentimes, yeah. Which is an interesting space. Definitely the least effective because you're neither neither building relationships nor helping your work. But I'm I'm sure that happens sometimes. 
Yeah, I think it's a very like defensive place to be or defensive stance where you're like, I don't want to like touch that or I don't want anything to do with that. I'm just going to like mind my own business and like just say whatever will make them like stop bothering me. Yeah, yeah, I think that can be common. So let's think of let's say like let's say you're about to do a presentation, but you have a piece of toilet paper stuck to your shoe. You're about to get up on it and do a TED talk about your company and about to go on stage with a piece of toilet paper stuck to your shoe so what would starting at at bottom left so the what is it destructive manipulative insincerity manipulative insincerity yeah what would they say well one thing that is always an option in both of the left quadrants is just not saying anything so in this quadrant that would be just because like you don't care about how well they do so you're just not going to mention it that is very much an option or to just say like Okay, you're gonna you're gonna do great. You're gonna kill it. You know, you look fantastic. Especially your shoes. Possibly, yeah. Don't even look down and look at them because they look great. Yeah, I don't know if they would even mention the shoes. That that seems almost too direct. Yeah, I guess I guess that's a good one. Like if the person yeah before they go on, they're like, "How do I look?" And they're like, "Fine, whatever." That is exactly it. I think yeah, that's ve- that's very much classic manipulative insincerity. And then top left, which is ruinous empathy ruinous empathy so you you care about their relationship but you're not being effective because you want them to feel good it's like yeah you look amazing you're gonna kill it right it's just like you don't have the heart to tell them you don't want you know to cause that a little bit of uncomfortableness so like you're just like yeah you're gonna do great fantastic good luck break a leg yeah exactly wait with the example of like the spinach and the teeth that we were talking about i was just thinking about it I don't get why that's such, like, uh, people are embarrassed to say that. Like, I don't care about that. Like, I might be embarrassed if I saw they, like, I don't know, had, like, a booger or something. Then I might be, like, embarrassed to say that. But, I mean, if somebody just has some food in their teeth, I'll, I'll tell almost anyone. That's good. I don't know. I don't think that's that embarrassing. Like, I wouldn't be embarrassed if somebody was like, hey, stuff in your teeth. Yeah, I don't know. I think, it's, I think it is something that is embarrassing for many people. It's just that, like, initial bit of, like, oh, damn, I don't look good or I, I was not paying attention or something like that uh, okay yeah like it's not something that should be a big deal definitely but is for many people yeah but anyway back on so you've got you're going on to do a ted talk about your company and you've got toilet paper stuck to your shoe what would bottom right so effective but doesn't care about relationships say? what kind of dipshit would leave a bunch of toilet paper on his shoe before doing a presentation <laughs> <laughs> okay okay Makes sense. So you're alerting them to the to the problem, but you are you do not care about your relationship. <laughs> Basically, yeah. You you can probably do it uh, more passively uh, than I did. It's just not establishing that you care. Or just like you have like gross toilet paper on your shoe. <laughs> yeah, you should really fix that. Yeah, it looks bad. <laughs> so that's yeah, bottom bottom right. What's that called again? Uh, obnoxious aggression obnoxious aggression okay cool cool and then finally the radically candorous that would probably be something similar to the spin it's like hey you've got something uh, on your shoe there some toilet paper you want to you should get that real quick i want to make sure like you put your best foot forward and you do you really nail this presentation home put your best foot forward and don't have toilet paper on it put it forward specifically not in toilet paper all right all right that's pretty good Okay, so those are the four quadrants, I guess. That's actually really helpful visualizing, yeah. Just effectiveness versus politeness, I guess. Yeah, politeness or like just, I guess it can be expressed as politeness, but 
the way she says it is caring personally. So it's just actually like caring about the person. Or like caring, yeah, caring about the person. Or like I'd say like as well, like maybe caring about your relationship to the person, like your workplace relationship. Because it's not necessarily like, I love you. Yeah, I don't think it's that extreme, but I feel like what she's going for is a little bit more than just like, hey, we're colleagues. It's like, hey, I want to see you succeed, just like in general. Okay, cool. What else does she say besides the four quadrants? But that's really helpful for visualizing. Yeah, that's that's the big like blockbuster point. A lot of the rest of the book is like guides or ideas on how to go about implementing that. Another random idea that I'm just going to throw in here that I thought was very interesting was that she said that a lot of bosses or managers will kind of complain about feeling like they have to like babysit all their employees because, you know, they've got like personal problems or whatnot that they're going through and, you know, they're just emotional. They need time or attention. And a lot of people will complain about that. The employees do. Yeah. Apparently people like bring that to work and many bosses will like complain about that. But that's actually just part of your job as a manager is the emotional labor that goes into people and like managing those relationships like that's the main part of your job people are the whole package you can't find emotionless workers anywhere sorry yeah she's big on bringing your whole self to work and all that jazz well oh that's interesting like i don't think you should like fake who you are or anything but i think i think you you definitely like some some stuff should stay personal i guess i don't know like obviously if you're having like shouldn't like cover up or yeah like fake who you are or fake how you feel or anything like that but like i feel like it's definitely oversharing is possible at work definitely yeah yeah i agree i've definitely seen that happen but i think it is more so like you were talking about like faking your emotions or things like that like if you're feeling a certain way you're feeling a certain way right like you can't just ignore that especially like because it is whether you acknowledge or not probably going to affect your work if it's like like if you're really worried about something like i don't know let's say like your relatives might lose the house or something like you just learned like that day and so you're just like really worried about it like you can't you probably won't just go to work and be the exact same like efficacy so like having to like just like listen to people or talk to people or do that kind of stuff is part of your job as a manager that makes sense do you think with we're talking about like direct cultures versus indirect cultures or languages and stuff like that do you think Canada would be less direct than the States? That's a good question. Quite possibly. I think if we if we were to follow the stereotypes, probably. Obviously, all, yeah, all, all of these are generalities. Very much so. Like, you can go to any of these places and find somebody who's the polar opposite. Like, I don't know. But we're also usually, like, in between the U.S. and, like, Northern Europe in most things culturally, right? But I would say Britain is probably more towards the not caring i don't think it comes from caring but you know famously like the british reserve wanting to mostly mind your own business or like not cause a scene or i I think we might have a bit more of that in the u.s that's possible yeah is there like a list of most direct countries is that a thing okay here we go this is a business insider article these eight scales reveal everything you should know about different cultures Let's look for specifically uh, evaluating direct negative feedback versus indirect negative feedback. That's kind of what we're talking about. So so Americans may be very explicit communicators, but they're in the middle of the spectrum when it comes to giving negative feedback. As anyone who's been to an American school knows, 
that makes sense. That's what I've heard. And then Israelis, Russians, and Dutch are among the most direct when it comes to negative feedback. And then J Japanese are among the most indirect. And then, oh, they do have a, a little map here. So yeah, the, on the left, far left, we've got the most direct look like Israel, Russia, Netherlands, and Germany. And then uh, after that, we've got like France, Spain, Denmark, and Sweden. And then more towards the middle, we have Australia, Italy, US, UK, and Canada, and, uh, and Argentina and Brazil as well. And then towards more indirect, we have uh, Mexico, India, Kenya, and China, Saudi Arabia, and Ghana. And then towards the most indirect, we have Korea, Japan, Thailand, and in Indonesia. Interesting. It says we're slightly more indirect than the US. Yeah, that's what I see here. We're between US and UK. So it's like most direct out of the three countries that we're talking about, most direct is US and then Canada and then UK. And I probably could have called that. That's fair. Yeah. And then North Europe, except for UK and uh, Israel are towards the most direct. Um, I wonder where Ireland falls on that. Great question. Yeah, I don't know. I would think more direct than UK, but still probably, still definitely not one of the most direct, I'd imagine. I would imagine not. Yeah, I don't know. Actually, there's another one here that says uh, just for communication, for like high context versus low context cultures, Canada is one of the most low context communication cultures. So low context, meaning good communication is precise, simple and clear. Messages are expressed and understood at face value. Repetition is appreciated if it helps clarify the communication and high context, meaning Good communication is sophisticated, nuanced, and layered. Messages are both spoken and read between the lines. Messages are often implied, but not plainly expressed. It looks like U.S. is most low context, and Japan most high context. Yeah, Japan, Korea, Indonesia most high context, most low context, Australia, U.S., and Canada. That's interesting that we, at least on this map I'm looking at, are still significantly lower context than U.K. This graph also doesn't have a scale, so I don't know how that works. Maybe we're not. Maybe they just didn't have room. Although it does look, it is pretty far. Very true. Yeah. So I assume there's a big difference. And then smack in the middle are Poland and Brazil. But yeah, that was quite a tangent, kind of. <laughs> it was interesting. It was, yeah. Very interesting stuff. I guess there's probably one other thing that I wanted to go through that has a couple of kind of steps to it is how to try and get or convince people to give you radically candid feedback. Ah, okay. Yeah, which I thought would be very applicable to pretty much everyone, even if you're not a manager. What, one thing that's related to that, actually, that was, um, it was in the same course I took. It was a story, I think, from the professor, or he heard it from another professor. So this, this professor um, was American, and so started teaching in the U.S., and then went to Japan for a while to teach. And they actually sort of had the opposite, because it's a very hierarchical society, which the U.S. is very much less than japan in the u.s he would be like you know great job kid you should uh, change this and change this and stuff sort of like we were talking about like say what was good and then say what you should change and he said his class in japan was actually doing really bad and then he sat in on another class that was taught by a native japanese teacher and um that teacher was actually much more harsh with the class because it's like, it's an era of like, if you're a superior, you can tell it more like it is. So he was like, when they were like kind of bad scores, he was like, you're not doing well, you can do better than this. 
to the class. And then they did better versus like what that's what they were. That's what his own class was expecting when he was like, good job. They were like, oh, guess we guess we're doing good. Guess we don't have to change what we're doing. So hierarchy, who you're talking to, I guess that's the, the context that how it's a high context culture, because like saying you can do better to like maybe a, a co-worker would be like, what the heck, man? But uh, to somebody who's like very established, like below you in the hierarchy is like expected in, in maybe more high, high context cultures. Yeah. So if you don't get the like real negative feedback you're expecting, then it seems like it's like you're doing fine. Yeah. And it kind of reminds me of basically like an opposite example of that was I was listening to Yuval Noah Harari speak uh, at one point, author of Sapiens, Homo Deus and 21 Lessons for the 21st Century, I think is the third one. Very good books as well. But he was saying at, at one point, uh, I think just in like some interview that his ideas have gotten like really good because a lot of stuff he wrote about, he taught as a professor at a university in Israel. And Israeli students, if they think you're full of shit, they will not hesitate to say it immediately during the class. Apparently, most direct ones that we saw are the most direct along with like Russia and the Netherlands. So like if a professor doesn't seem like they know what they're calling talking about, they will be immediately called out on it. So like he had to know his shit when he was going into class. Okay, that's interesting. Yeah, which absolutely would not happen. Maybe you'd get somebody asking a cheeky question that they thought the prof wouldn't know the answer to. You might get that, but you wouldn't get somebody being like, I think you're wrong. In like Japan? Here, that would almost never happen, I'd say. Like, I can't picture it. I, I think what would happen is they would just like, after class, the students would be like, wow, that guy sucked. <laughs> I don't know. It might, it might depend on the prof, on the individual one, because I could definitely see people correct. I've, I've definitely seen people correct profs. Oh, I've seen, cor- I've seen them correct or like ask a question they think they can't answer. But I haven't seen them just be like, are, are you sure? I don't think that's true. <laughs> that's true. Yeah. Yeah. It's definitely not at the same level. It's like, I think you made like a small like math error or something. Yeah. Or like, how did you get that answer? That's interesting. How did you get that? I actually got a different answer. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It would be nowhere near the same. But yeah. That is interesting. The students would be like, nah, man. You're kind of full of shit, prof. Like, <laughs> Yeah. That's, I guess that's the whole idea of radical candor. That's what it does for you. It makes things better because you know what the actual flaws and actual strengths are. Exactly. So yeah, that's actually exactly a very good example of it. Like he had to constantly hone his stuff because if there was like any errors in it, it would get called out and then he'd fix it. Or yeah, yeah. People would just let him know. So he, he was constantly honing it because people were always telling him what was right and what was wrong. That would have definitely helped him. But yeah, you were saying about... um. So how to get or try and like, you say like fish for some radically candid feedback because a lot of people it's just it doesn't come naturally whoa candid to whoa okay interesting grammar thing candor and candid same root i didn't think because you just said radically candid that's interesting I, I never thought that's where the word candid comes from cool oh okay yeah uh anyways so she had like four tips for how to get it to happen and the first one was to have a go-to question because it's very hard to like come up with something like a good way to get feedback in the moment. Like just saying, do you have any feedback for me? Probably won't get much. Like if you don't have that really direct and already like established relationship. Especially if somebody who tends towards the top left. Yeah. Just trying to, to be nice essentially all the time. 
then you're, yeah, you're going to need to coax it out of them not to be like, any feedback, then be like, yeah, it was amazing. Yeah, so it's just something else that is more maybe specific. Like the one she listed was, is there anything I could do or stop doing to make uh, me easier to work with? Oh, wow. That's very interesting. One, the one that I just was thinking of, I don't, maybe this counts, is like every time you like give work or like submit work, you're like, if you could change anything about it, what would you change? I think that's good as well too it's just like hey i need at least like one piece of feedback here yeah or if you had to change one thing what would it be and then from there the next tip is to embrace the discomfort and the silence okay because people often won't answer immediately or they'll just say yes or something like that so she said to like wait at least like six seconds just like in the silence to like try and get them to respond and like come up with something okay okay that's interesting and there were some interesting examples of like some managers just continuing to ask, like they were trying to get feedback just on generally how they can improve it or on improving on like a specific thing, just saying like, okay, but like, what's one thing you could improve? They're like, I don't know. I don't, I can't think of anything. No, but like, actually what's one thing and just following up like many Tell times, <laughs> like it's very uncomfortable, but like if you embrace it and you keep going with it, you can finally get some feedback. So you don't end up like that dude who got fired. <laughs> exactly yeah just in case you the people you work with kind of tend towards ruinous empathy this keeps it keeps it real keeps you in reality okay that's very interesting okay and that's that's the second one have a set question what's the third way to coax out on and this is like kind of like step by step you you have you ask the question and you embrace the silence and then you listen to what was said and like actually like understand it so you're not just sitting there like trying to like think up your like rebuttal or whatever to what they're about to say. Like this isn't a debate or anything. You actually like want to understand. I, I guess another thing that comes with that is not taking it personally. You, this isn't a thesis defense. It's not a challenge to see if, if you can justify your work. It is actually a Jackie Chan quote that this, is, this makes me think of. He's like why he does like all his stunts with like super wide angle like tries like as many tries as it takes to do them right and stuff because he's like a lot of filmmakers i've worked with especially from like outside the hong kong industry or from outside like the asian market from like the west like let's say like as an example like marvel fight scenes and stuff they're like oh you know we can't do that because like the actors don't have the training or because like we don't have the budget or we don't have the time and he and his quote is why are you going to go around to every movie theater and explain that to the audience yeah. For, or for instance, if it's a presentation, are you going to go around to every audience member and be like, see, this uh, actually means this. You might not know that. But if you were in my company, you'd know that. And I know that. It's like, no, you just have to. It, it, yeah, you just have to do it right. Do it right. Because you can't explain to everyone your, your same thinking that you are trying to like rebut the criticism. Yeah. So you just actually have to understand like the criticism and like take steps to try and like fix it. But yeah, in this part, just like show that you're listening is the key. It's like rephrasing it or like repeating it back to them in a way like to make sure you understand or like ask questions if you don't understand. Yeah. And yeah, not trying to deflect it. Very much so. Yeah. It was only because I didn't have enough time to do this that it's this way. Like it's not my fault. And like, I don't care if it's your fault. You should just fix it. Very true. Yeah. Be like Jackie Chen. Just do it. <laughs> Be like Nike. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, okay, so that's the third one. And what's the fourth one? And then the fourth one is to reward the candor. 
that feels like we're getting into like some conditioning psychology where it's like, <laughs> oh. just like give them a reward a bit, but <laughs> give them $10 or just thank them. But yeah, uh, thank them and actually show that you're going to do it. So maybe like think up some like a practical step that you can take to try and work on the feedback to show that like, hey, you're actually doing this, that this isn't just falling on deaf ears and then like actually do it. You're not some kind of weird masochist or something who likes being criticized. You're actually trying to do better work. Yeah, exactly. You're actually like walking the walk, not just talking the talk. I mean, they're all important, but that's that's a big one. Probably where a lot of people fail. Like, all right, I've got the feedback. Job done. Very true. Yeah, very true. That's like the equivalent of a student giving back an assignment that's just covered in notes and not reading it. Actually, a real a real example of that is I did like in in the class I was taking a while ago. I didn't do as well as I expected on a, on a project. I got like a 70 when I was expecting a 90 or something. And I was like, oh, what the heck? And then for the next one, I was working on it. And I realized I didn't even look at the feedback. Like I didn't look at the rubric or the notes. And I was just, I was like halfway through the next one. And luckily I had a lot of time and I was like, wait a minute, what am I doing? <laughs> and so I just went and read it. So there were so many like easy things to change. Like it's like, you have to submit it as a PDF instead of a doc. So I was going to say, it's a bunch of formatting stuff, isn't it? Yeah, it's a bunch of formatting. Like, submit it as a PDF instead of a doc. Use this font. Use, you know, have a title page. Call it this in your submission. Like, and all that alone was, like, at least, like, 10%. Like, te- like the 10% of the mark lost, of the marks lost. It was j- just from stuff that I could fix in, like, five minutes. Yeah, pay attention to the feedback and actually do it. <laughs> That is that is a fantastic point. Yeah, that's good that you remembered to read it eventually. Because not everybody does or would. Well, you just sort of get it back and you're like, oh man, did bad. Well, guess I'll work on the next one. <laughs> and it's like, wait a minute. They actually tell you exactly what you need to change for the next one. Wow, you should read that. Sort of related, but not related to Radical Candor. Is the other day I asked, the first time I've ever asked for a, a what is it called? An extension on an assignment i'd never done that before because it just didn't occur to me and i was talking to sangi like a few days before it was due and i'm like i'm so stressed out of all the stuff i'm doing and i have this other actual like thing for my job due on the same day and she's like why don't you just ask the prof for an extension i'm like whoa oh let me try this and then i did and he's like yeah i was like three days later and i'm like that's amazing you can just ask and they'll do it fantastic like this is crazy do you guys know about this? Do you guys know you can do this? I've never actually done it, uh, but I've heard it's good. <laughs> it's so funny. It's just like, wait, 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 hold up. If I don't have time, you're saying I can just ask for more time? <laughs> Bruh. What? Oh my goodness. Wow. Yeah. Wild. And on rewarding the candor, also, if you happen to not agree with the feedback or don't think it's right, you can disagree, but also like, try and explain why you think so, which gives them an opportunity to say like, oh no, your thinking's actually wrong and here's why I'm right, or to agree with you. Yeah, like let's say you needed to include a specific diagram in your presentation and the person's like, oh, I didn't see your diagram. And, but you know, it, it is actually in there. It's on like page six. Like you could either take it personally and be like, yeah, it's in there. You don't know what you're talking about. Like I'm just not going to use your feedback so you don't know what you're talking about. Or be like, Oh, I actually had it on page six. And then be like, oh, you went past it really quick. I didn't notice that. And then you can take feedback and be like, ah, okay, I need to linger on this bit a little while longer. 
That is actually a very good example. Yeah, that's just like pulling out that real feedback and seeing like, okay, you're just talking too fast. You're moving too fast at that point. Like, Yeah, whether or not it's actually in your presentation isn't important. It's if the people you're presenting to see it. <laughs> very true. Very true. Yeah, that's that's very good like example of like clarifying questions and trying to understand like what the actual feedback is because it's not always obvious at face value because people don't always have the full context or understanding. Like another sort of thing that I can think of, which is a very weird example, but if there was like a comedy movie and there was a screen test they were doing, you know how they have like they have like little audiences in to like see what they laugh at, see what they don't laugh at when it's like the movie's almost done, so they see how the public will react. If like a director is ha- yeah, having a, a yeah, screen test or whatever of his film and at one joke that he thought was hilarious, like nobody laughs, he can either like go out and be like, guys, don't you get the joke? It's the fact that he slipped on that when whatever. Or you can write down, oh, the audience didn't get this. I should add more context to the joke or something. Yeah, definitely. That is a good example. Or another one that jumps to mind. I don't remember where I'm pulling this from, but somebody who was like developing, I think it was like an app or some kind of software and they were getting some people to like come in and test it. I think just like finding people off the street and kind of like paying them to like test the app kind of thing. And, you know, they just go through and try and do something in it. And some people were able to do it, but a lot of people just weren't able to get or like were having a lot of trouble doing it. And the guy who's like running the test was just like, well, I guess they're not my target audience. Bring me someone new in here. Bring me someone who actually knows how to use my thing that I haven't released yet. If you don't like that show, you're just not smart enough to get it. Kind of, kind of fine. Basically, yeah, I guess you're not my target audience then. Let's find someone better. <laughs> Yeah, which is sort of missing the point. It can be, yeah. Like these people could be your target audience, and maybe they are even. You could just would you like these people could buy your product or they could not. That that's that's actually pretty funny. Well, actually, I didn't really. Your user interface was kind of confusing. Like, well, I guess you just don't get how to use it. It's like, well, yeah, I I don't. (laughs) Pretty much, yeah. But yeah, that is that is a beginning, a little overview of some radical candor. Would highly recommend the book, especially if you are in fact a manager or would like like many more tips on how to like receive feedback because it has got like a shitload of practical things on like various meetings and questions and whatnot that you can have or ask that I figured was a bit much for getting into for now, but like is so good. It kind of sounds like it's useful just if you work with people. Yeah, honestly, I think it very much could be. Sounds like a good read. I'll have to check it out. Definitely recommend. Very, very good book. Okay, so I think that's it for today. Next time we'll be talking about uh, the world had no email update. Uh, Yeah, yeah, I think that's the next recording. Let's do that next. Okay, cool. So yeah, until next time, everyone. Yeah, leave us your radically candid feedback in the comments. Leave us your hate mail.